Well, I would like to start a little time today and talk about kind of building off of, I guess, what Randall did last week where he talked about uh, the Nicene Creed and the importance of what we believe about Jesus. I had actually been thinking about doing this for a couple of months, and I just found it interesting that that's where Randall's ended off last week there and just how that dovetails with what I was thinking of doing. I was wanting to talk about, well, in Sunday school we've been going through the uh, the emergent church issues and some of the rejection of creeds and things like that that have gone on and that are kind of coming out of the emergent church, which is not all that new. I mean, that has been something that has gone on for years. I remember being raised with somewhat with a saying that uh, no creed but the Bible. I don't know if anybody's ever heard such a thing as that or not. I know I had. uh, And yet, um, as I delved into that, whole aspect, it's awfully hard to get away from creeds, isn't it? Because basically a creed uh, comes from the Latin word credo, which means I believe. And the moment you start to talk about what you believe and paraphrase what the Bible says, if you're not quoting from the Bible directly, you're actually getting into a creed at that point. That's in effect what a creed is. Now there are some famous creeds throughout history, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the Westminster's, Westminster uh, Confession, um, a number of different things that are out there, but I thought I'd like to look at this morning about some early creeds or creeds of the early first century church that especially you can, I don't know if it's right to call, call them quite a creed, but you find them in First Timothy and in Titus. They have to do with uh, trustworthy sayings, Paul talks about. There's five of them and then maybe one that he calls a common confession, but they seem to be sayings that were widely recognized by the early church. Let me back up just a moment there, and I was thinking about where do we get our creeds today? Where do our confessions come from? Uh, Oftentimes, unfortunately, they come from things like bumper stickers and T-shirts and advertising slogans. I have, uh, uh, I actually went and spent quite a bit of time, unfortunately too much time probably, trying to look at bumper stickers and things like that and trying to, on the web and trying to come up with top ten or funniest ones. And in the end, I kind of decided to do something, kind of go through memory lane, if you will humor me just a moment. And it's okay to laugh. Uh, I'm going to sing a song that I actually memorized 35 years ago (laughs) that uh, (laughs) plays on a lot of slogans. I don't know if anybody... And I I searched and searched. I tried to find uh, some information... Because I don't want to be guilty of plagiarism. I did not create this song, okay? But I did actually sing it as a part of the youth group when I was in high school. And so it goes like this. Campbell's Soup and Kellogg's Corn Flakes, Mother Smucker's Jams. Fly down to the South Pacific, got to go Pan Am. Buy the Chevy of your choice and Ellen satisfies. Have the whitest teeth in town or man, you're going to die. Groove on mothers of invention, Pepsi if you care. Don't you know it's now or never, buy that frigid air. Schools that teach you everything but what you ought to learn. Where's the meaning to my living? Which way shall I turn? Where's creation? Where's relation to the God who made the nation? Teach me, tell me, ask me, help me. I've got to know. Is there any life hereafter? If so, maybe that's what I'm after. I don't want your 10% or current dividends. 
Perfumes, plastics just don't grab me, but somehow you people can't see. All you screamers, buy it now. No worries if I won't hurry. Start investing now. But in what? But in why? Something else but L&M to satisfy. Something me. Tell me, please. Tell me. Tell me, please. And it's supposed to end up with pop, 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 pop. <laughs> so. Well, if that didn't loosen you up, it should have loosened me up. <laughs> um, yeah. Those are, it's amazing that some of those companies actually still exist today. Yeah? They, um, but I don't, I don't know if they'll make it through another 35 years, the way things are going. Um, the trying to base our lives on advertising slogans are, is not going to last. It's not going to work. There are better ones out there. Uh, I remember singing another song back when I was in high school, and I don't want to push my luck here, but uh, uh, it's amazing just to read the words of this song that we used to actually sing as our high school youth group because it goes, um, I believe in God the Father, maker of the earth and sky, and his only Son, Christ Jesus, who came hither from on high. I believe in God's forgiveness I believe my soul shall rise, and I look for life unending in my home beyond the skies. Anybody else sing that one in there in high school? Oh, Christy, you did. Okay. Can you believe that we got away with something like that in government schools years ago? Amazing. Well, the creeds uh, that we have today, uh, the Nicene Creed, one of the best ones that we have out there that Randall brought up uh, uh, was a, usually creeds have been brought out as a rejection or as a, a reaction. That's not, not rejection, but a reaction to things that are going on in the world. Uh, for example, Arianism, which was a, a belief um, among some people in the early church that, that uh, uh, Jesus was mainly man and a little bit God, kind of in a way, I guess you might say, and the, when they came up with the Nicene Creed, they were trying to emphasize that Jesus really is God. And, the, uh, and yet, even there at the Nicene Creed, and this is where people have problems with creeds, there became a split between the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church over two words. I guess they're two words in Greek, three words in English. Uh, um, the expression, and the Son, when it talks about where the Holy Spirit comes from, that he comes from God the Father. And the, the uh, Roman church added the words about 200 years after the Nicene Creed was first written. They added the words, which are biblically correct, that, Jesus, that, uh, that, uh, uh, G- that the Holy Spirit proceeded from the Son, from and the Son. Instead of, and... Um, that became a problem to the Eastern Orthodox Church because they were adding those words. Well, that happens, doesn't it? You know, and if we think that if just by going with the Bible by itself, we're going to get away from all disagreements and all questions about things, uh, any, any um, well, that's just not going to happen. And yet we do have to take a stand. If we don't talk about what we believe about something, we really can't talk about anything. We have to be able to express who we believe in and what we believe in. Well, 
Let's get into these, these uh, five um, sayings that I mentioned here. Trustworthy sayings. And the first one on the list comes from 1 Timothy 1.15. And it goes like this. It's real difficult to memorize, okay? Let's try this. Uh, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Real tough, isn't it? <laughs> How's that for a creed? We could probably all memorize that one. Uh, Christ, came in, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Well, and yet there's a lot involved in this trustworthy saying, if you will. I think there's a lot that the early church packed an awful lot into that. First of all, it's just the name of Jesus, which we've talked about before. Christ Jesus, he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the prophesied king, and he's Jesus. His name means Savior. He's the King Savior. He's the Messiah Savior. Christ Jesus came into the world. He came into the world. He, he, he wasn't, wasn't just born. He, was, he actually came into the world. He, there was a choice involved with him, and, and he existed prior to his coming into the world. He came into the world to save sinners. Some people have struggled with that today. Could there be such a thing as sin? Could there be such a thing as sinners? And I don't think we struggle with that here, but if anybody is struggling with it, just to keep in mind, we're all in that same boat. Actually, I think Paul and the early church found that this saying was a comforting saying because it's not that I have to be good enough to get into heaven. It's that Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's you and me. That's all of us. Uh, there are some evangelists out there today. I think of Mark Cahill, who spoke here at Caraparaville uh, a number of years ago, and uh, Ray Comfort, who's got a, 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 a website out there called The Way of the Master that a lot of people are looking at these days. And they like to go through the Ten Commandments when they talk with people, at least especially the, the five commandments that talk about man's relationship with man, and just ask them questions about them to they feel like that that cuts through the, all the philosophical problems that people might have with, um, with when they get into spiritual things. And they ask questions like, uh, have you ever told a lie? And a person's response normally is, well, yeah, sure, somewhere, yeah, I've told a lie. Uh, and then they ask, what's that make you? To bring it home. And then they ask, uh, have you ever taken something that didn't belong to you? Well, yeah, most people would say, sure, I've, I've done that. Okay, well then what's that make you? Okay. And then they ask, uh, have you ever thought lustfully about another person? According to Jesus, he equated lustful thoughts with, with adultery. Well, okay, what does that make you? And then they say, okay, so... By your own admission, then you're a lying, adulterous thief, <laughs> separated from God, the perfect one, and bro- having broken his commandments, and deserving of hell as a result. But, the, the re- but for us, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That is where we are. In Titus 3, uh, Paul ta- tells uh, Titus, remind them to do several things, uh, to be submissive to rulers, authorities, be obedient, to be ready for every good work, help 
Jen move when it's time to move? Uh, no, that's not in there. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy to all people. For, the reason why, why should we do all these things? For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Those words should be comforting to us, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We are among that group. And were it not for our Savior, we wouldn't have a chance. Well, another trustworthy saying. This one's a little bit longer, and I'm going to skip to Titus for this one, although there's three others there in, in Timothy. For Titus, Titus 3, 4 through 8. Another trustworthy saying. And Paul says there, I'm quoting from the English Standard Version, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Now that one's a little bit longer than the first one, isn't it? But it brings up a lot of great truth right here in the passage. A trustworthy saying, a creed of the early church, one that the early church, again, probably repeated over and over, that they said regularly in their their meetings. We have here all three, don't we? The Trinity working in, in tandem, working together. We have God the Father. We have Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. And all three working together to bring us salvation, to display the goodness and loving kindness of God towards us in saving us from our sin, as we've already talked about, words of comfort to us, and also in washing and regenerating us, changing us, helping us to become the people of God, helping us to to become better than we would have been otherwise. Are Christians perfect? No. By no means. But, you know, it's so hard. I'm sure, and I'm sure that, that there are out in the world, you read things on the net, and otherwise there are people that have been offended by Christians. Uh, there have been people that have been hurt by Christians. And Christians aren't perfect, necessarily. But are they better people than they would have been had Jesus not come into their lives? I think that that is very, that's something that could be argued very easily. We may not be better. We may not be as good as we would like to be. We may not reflect God. We may not reflect Christ in everything we'd like to do. But we have a motivation for doing good to other people that we wouldn't have otherwise. Jesus came and died for us and gave us the example. And he saved us and he regenerated us and he gave us a new reason for life so that we might devote ourselves to good works These things are excellent and profitable for people. 
A third uh, trustworthy saying occurs in 1 Timothy 3.1. By the way, this phrase, trustworthy saying, doesn't occur anywhere else in the Bible besides Timothy and Titus. And yet we have them over here, and these are letters where Paul was trying to help, assist, trying to guide Timothy, who was in Ephesus, and guide Titus, who was in Crete, in organizing the church, organizing the meeting of the church, organizing how the, how the church was set up and its leadership. And so he passes along these trustworthy sayings to them. 1 Timothy 3.1 he says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And again, this isn't just Paul speaking, and not as if that wouldn't be enough as an apostle, but it is a trustworthy saying it's of the early church. It's a trustworthy saying and worthy of full acceptance. Uh, we're going to be recognizing new leaders coming up here. And that's we're doing that in fulfillment of what Paul is telling, telling um, uh, Timothy and Titus here about appointing overseers, appointing elders. Notice the plural, to appoint overseers. Same word as elders there. there it's used synonymously. In both passages, Paul lists out the criteria for being an elder or being an overseer. And it primarily has to do with character qualities. In fact, basically the qualities are the same whether you're talking about an elder or a deacon. The key difference maybe between those two, uh, as I think Mike has pointed out probably several times in the past, is that elders and overseers are supposed to be especially apt to teach and able to, uh, to hold, to shut down, I guess, uh, something that's bad teaching or, or holds, to encourage pe- people who, uh, in good teaching. Notice that it's a task. It's a work that's involved. And it's the hard work of teaching and relationships and of overseeing the church. There are meetings and tough decisions to be made. And there's also an office. I might just point out here that a person can be doing the work. How does a person get the reputation that makes them worthy of being an overseer or an elder if they haven't been doing some of the work ahead of time? They have to gain that reputation through time. You don't just step into it. Uh, Unfortunately, today, sometimes we do think that people can just step into it just because they have spent some years in Bible college or in seminary uh, without the experience. And I think that is unfortunate. I think it's a great thing to go to Bible school. I think it's a great thing to go to seminary. All that time of single-minded study of God's Word is great since it's the Word that purifies us. But... Nevertheless, somewhere along the line, there has to be some application, some chance to apply some of those things and develop a, relation, a reputation as a result, too, in the process. An elder does have to have a certain reputation. Again, not that they have sinless perfection. Keep in mind the very first trustworthy saying we looked at, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So elders are sinners too. They they also they're not they don't have sinless perfection, but they have they are developing a reputation and they have they are they have shown some consistency in their character over time. And so they are recognized as leaders in the church. 
But the emphasis here, I think, here just from this one trustworthy saying, and it maybe comes out of Judaism, is that he who desires the office as an overseer, he desires a noble task. And I'd like to leave the emphasis there. Men, do you have a, an interest in that, a desire? It should be a goal. It, should be, it may be that you're at a time in your life that you can't think of having the office, doing the thing right now, but, but are you aspiring? Is it your goal to have that character, to have that reputation, to develop that ability to teach? If it's not, it should be. He who aspires, he who desires the office of overseer, desires a noble task. It's a noble work, a noble task. And that's a great goal to have. Run through that list. Compare yourself to it. It's a pretty high standard. Think about what can I do to make myself more, to apply this more to my life and to gain the reputation that it takes to be recognized as an overseer or a leader someday. The church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. According to 1 Timothy 3.15, and so teachers and elders do have a special responsibility to know the truth and pass it on accurately. It's not enough just to have conversations and not be willing to take a stand on something. And then we come to one that, the only one in my list here that doesn't actually have the word trustworthy saying beside it. But I'd like to throw it in here because I think it still fits into this idea of a creed almost of the early church. It's something that the early church repeated over and over. Um, 1 Timothy 3.16, reading from the American Standard Version. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness, who was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. What a great passage, and I can just imagine the the early church reciting this. It was a common confession. They were... Notice here that the ministry of godliness is a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ, the one who was revealed in the flesh. Jesus wasn't just a spirit, as in the Gnostic beliefs. He did come in the flesh as well. He was vindicated by the spirit. Remember, uh, you might, let's just take a quick look at Romans 1.4 which almost seems to be a parallel passage to this confession. Actually, verses 1 through 6 altogether, but 1-4 emphasizes that particular aspect, uh, that, um, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of Holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. He proved himself to be the Son of God by being resurrected from the dead. What a great great confession here. The whole passage, 
Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy, Scri- Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. Appeared in the flesh, right? And was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit. Here we've got the Holy Spirit. Vindicated in the Spirit. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship of being about to bring about the obedience of the faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Believed on in the world, we had the eyewitnesses. He was proclaimed among the nations. Those who went through the perspectives class recently learned that that word nations actually comes from the Greek word ethne, which means uh, culture groups. There are different culture groups out there. It wasn't restricted to geographical boundaries of a particular nation state. Proclaimed among the nations, the ethnic groups. Um, By the way, uh, maybe if you went through perspectives, you... you, uh, Came through the, went to the class where they talked about the, uh, the Back to Jerusalem movement. Has anybody heard of the Back to Jerusalem movement? Any of you here? Yes, Julie has. <laughs> where did you hear that, Julie? <laughs> Perspectives, yes. Great class. Uh, did you know that the, uh, that the Chinese church, the underground church, some 40 million people strong, they have feel like they've been given a vision by God to complete the vision that, the, that Christ proclaimed in Matthew 24, that he would be proclaimed throughout all the nations and then the end would come, and that it is their special responsibility to complete the circumnavigation of the globe, that basically after Paul, the gospel went west through Europe to the Americas, has come around and has gotten over to, to China, and with their background of surviving persecution, that they feel like it is their special obligation to go through the last part, back to Jerusalem, from China to Jerusalem, to fulfill the Great Commission. That doesn't say, mean to say we don't have a role to play. There's, of course, certainly a role to play. But they do, they, it is amazing how God has put this on the hearts and given visions to several different Chinese churches out there that this is their special mandate that they have, that they are especially equipped because of the things that they have suffered to be able to go through the Muslim lands and the Hindu lands and the other countries where there's such extreme persecution of Christians to complete the spread of the gospel before the return of Christ. I don't know. I'll leave that to them. I'm not going to be one that that projects it, but who am I to say that this vision isn't from God? It's, a, it's an interesting thought at any rate. Uh, part of their missionary training is a little, di- little bit different from our, as a former missionary, I can say it's a little bit different from any missionary training I went through. I understand that the underground church in China trains their missionaries by, for example, one thing is uh, going days without food or by uh, tying up their hands behind their backs and learning to jump out of second-story windows with their hands tied behind their backs. Uh, special training for missionaries going into persecuted lands. Well, Paul talks here about that it was a common confession that, Jesus, that Christ would be proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world. The eyewitnesses testified of what they saw. Others believed without saying. Remember Jesus speaking to, to, um, uh, to Thomas, doubting Thomas as we call him sometimes, 
who wanted to see, who wanted to place his hand in Jesus' side and feel the nail prints in his hands. And Jesus said, uh, Blessed are those who have, blessed are you because you see and believe, and blessed are those who believe without seeing. Such is our situation. We have taken the words of those who were eyewitnesses and have believed, and we are blessed as a result as well. And then the next uh, value we'd like to look, I'd like to look at just briefly here, and I'm not going to get to our last one, and that's all right. We'll do that another day, Lord willing. But the last, one, the last trustworthy thing I'd like to look at here is, comes from 1 Timothy 4.9. That godliness is of value in every way and holds promise for the present life as well as the life to come. This is a verse that I memorized, especially back in my days when I was an athlete, um, Because it starts out, train yourself in godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, it's not that it's not without value. Bodily training is of some value. You learn a lot through sports, don't you, Will? (laughs) You learn something about uh, uh, pushing back pain barriers, maybe. Uh, I used to wrestle. I used to run. Still do a little bit of running. Just don't push myself as hard as I used to. Not as hard as Stan does. Um, pushing back pain barriers pushing and learning strategy and rules of the sport. You have to do that so you because every athlete has to compete according to the rules if he hopes to win the prize. You have to learn something about technique. You have to, you have to develop your strength and your agility, your... Um, uh, your speed, certainly. All those things you have to work on. If you don't practice those things, you're not going to excel in your, in your sport. Paul oftentimes brings up allusions to sport in what he does. And I, I don't know if Paul was an athlete. I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he maybe was. Uh, he was a Roman citizen, and I think the Romans who uh, had been Hellenized by the Greeks or took on a lot of uh, like they liked a lot of the the ideas of the Greeks. They, I think that the Romans uh, liked the idea of sports and things and saw it oftentimes as training for their military too. So uh, Paul speaks a lot about running races and boxing and wrestling. One of my favorite passages, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, where Paul expounds, Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Do you not know that in a that in um, uh, do you know, do you not know that every athlete exercises self control in all things? They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Well, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I pummel my body and subdue it. That's after preaching to others. I myself should be disqualified. We can learn a lot through sports. And I think Paul doesn't, I mean, he draws upon sports so many times that, it's, that I, I think he recognizes the importance. And so, but he does say here, train yourself in godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, training in godliness is of value in every way and holds promise for the present as well as for the life to come. Well, how does training in godliness benefit our lives? We know something about sports maybe how it benefits us. 
how it makes us stronger and faster and better maybe than we would have been. But what about training in godliness? How does it make us better? Well, for one thing, don't know for sure, but you'll probably live longer than you would have otherwise, quite likely. You'll be, have a healthier life, for one thing. Seems probably obvious if we follow God's guidelines. Your relationships with others will probably be healthier than they would have been otherwise. You'll probably have a better reputation, going back to an overseer and a, and a deacon again, the leaders of the church. Training in godliness gets you there. Your family will probably remain more intact and and probably you'll have a posterity where people will be glad to remember you, more glad to remember you. And your society will be healthier too in the end. Last night, uh, some of us heard from Bill Federer, who was, uh, and one of his points was that atheism and secularism, while an immediate threat to Christianity, they're simply a transitional philosophy on the way to the tyranny of global expansionism of Islam. It's a scary picture he laid out that only Christianity has the moral fortitude to stand up to Islam eventually. I mean, who really is going to be willing to die for diversity? You know? uh, Christianity is the real bulwark for freedom, and he, without it, even equality will crumble. It's a good question to ask somebody who's of a secular background or who um, uh, is, more, is of an atheistic background, and, and to ask them... Uh, do you like the idea of people being equal? Almost always they'll say yes. Well, where else can you find it besides Christianity? Are you going to find it within Islam? No. The, the, the Dhimmi rule makes a separation between infidels and believers. And infidels, the Dhimmis, the subjugated peoples do not have the same rights going back to the Caliph Umar and his conquering of Palestine, they don't have the same rights as believers. Are you going to find it within Hinduism or Buddhism? No. What about the caste system? You don't find the equality there either. Are you going to find it within socialism? Communism? No. No. Those who are of the party are, well, as... As Orwell put it, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. (laughs) No, it's only in Christianity, in Judaism, you might say as well, where we have the idea that all men are created equal. If you like the idea of equality, you'd better not be undermining the church. You'd better not be undermining Christianity. Because it is the only thing that has the moral fortitude. They're the only people who are willing to die for what they believe and to take a stand for truth, for equality. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Did I say anything about investing for eternity? I didn't. That's in the last one that we would look at normally. But I'm going to end off there, except just to read the last one, just to finish off the group there. And that comes from... um, Yes. 2 Timothy 2, 
And the last trustworthy saying, a great one to begin to memorize. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, and I know in the New International Version it says, if we disown him, I think that's unfortunate because it, the word arnomai is, has the meaning, disown is one of the meanings of that Greek word, but it also means to refuse or dispute or just deny. You can deny somebody something that they want, right? You can deny a child a, a toy to play with in church, possibly. <laughs> or I'm glad, guys, you're not playing with the trucks right now. The, the little cars you have, they're, those are fun, fun little cars you have. The lights and everything. But, uh, yeah, that would be denying somebody something. The opposite of arnomai is didonai. And please forgive me if I'm mispronouncing the Greek here. But that didonai means to grant or give. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And then as if, just as if, in this trustworthy saying, there was maybe a question mark about whether people would really understand the point here or not. Maybe they might get scared about their salvation. He goes on to say, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God has made promises to us, promises that he will keep, promises that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And we are benefiting from that. Well, five trustworthy sayings and a common confession. The early church, early creeds, statements of what people believe. If you want to go with no creed but the Bible, this is a good place to start. Some good verses to memorize. Let's pray. Lord, uh, just thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth that you've revealed to us. And thank you for the salvation, again, that you offer us. Help us to be the people of God, representing you, doing the good works that you would have us do, showing the changed lives that you have wrought in our lives. Lord, we thank you for motivating us, for saving us, for regenerating and changing us helping us to become the people that you want us to be. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.